Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right. Do you need that button? This thing right here? Yeah. Thanks. No, just letting you know. Blakely was having a good old time with it yesterday. Oh, really? Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the thing's not on, that's what it's there for. I'm just going to swallow it or throw it in the garbage or something. <laughs> <laughs> I got to pee real quick. Is that cool? <laughs> you serious? Nope. All right. All right, another Q&A, guys. Um, got a lot of jam-packed questions today. Cody was going through them earlier, and There's you, guys, a lot. you guys are stumping him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> There's some good ones, though. Yeah. I finally, I haven't posted in the group asking for questions. I'm going to do it more regularly, and people just went off on the post asking really good questions. So for the people in the private group, I'll make sure to do that more. And for people who are not in the private group, if you like the podcast, Jump in the private group. Oh, it's yeah. completely free. Um, you just have to know a couple things about me, so I know you're not like a robot. Um, it's actually funny because one of the questions is, what's fav- Cody's favorite TV show? And Get out of here. Yeah, there's like <laughs> there's like three. Or if they've never listened before. Well, there's three options. Yeah. One is Seinfeld. One is Friends. And then one is something else. The amount of people that put Friends, it just oh. pisses me off so oh. bad. Because I don't like Friends. Yeah. I mean, it's an okay It's show. okay. Yeah. It's a good show. It's a good quality show. You know who show. Ross is? Oh, he's the worst. Yeah. I don't like Ross. Yeah. Joey, Joey's cool. <laughs> Just Joey's sweet. I hate Friends. Me and Justin watch Friends because I probably said this on the podcast before, but I'm obsessed with Family Guy. Mm. She hates Family Guy. I'm not a fan of Friends. She's obsessed with Friends. Yeah. So we. In the evening, Trade. we'll do one show, one episode, one episode. And the whole time, I'm just like, hey, is that Joey? Is that Ross? <laughs> is that Phoebe? Is that. And she's like, shut the hell up. <laughs> just watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Dude. It's awesome. It's uh, I, I the only reason I like watching shows because I like watching it and going like, uh, like Travis is Chandler, Brett is Joey, yeah. <laughs> like calling your friends for who they are, yeah, because it's friends, yeah, ah. it's good. But no, it's I don't even Shannon would never watch Family Guy. There's just no way. Yeah, she is not a fan of that. I've been watching uh, Cobra Kai lately. Have you seen that? No, dude, it is actually it's pretty dope. It's on yeah. Netflix. So okay. I need to watch The Social Dilemma. I heard that was dope, too. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul. I, part of me doesn't want to watch it because it's, isn't it about, like, what algor- s- yeah. social media is doing to us? Yeah. Like, I don't want to know because <laughs> I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the business. Yeah. But, uh, no, Cobra Kai. Is, so, have you ever seen The Karate Kid? Yeah. Karate Kid. Old movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Wax on, wax off. Yeah, so okay, Mr. Okay. Miyagi and the Karate yeah. Kid, and then his rival was that, like, blonde kid. Yeah. And then the mean instructor that he had. Well, Cobra Kai is that other group. That oh. the blonde kid, that's their like school. And so it's it's that blonde guy all grown up. And it's the same actor. And he's like just like a what? he's like a washed up drunk now. Wow. And then he he ends up opening a karate studio and starts like teaching these like nerds who are getting bullied how to do karate and like defend themselves. So it's really cool. And then 
the Karate Kid is like this super successful rich dude that he like sees on these billboards everyone hates him because he just sees the karate kid who beat him at the final tournament in Uh, that movie over and over again but it's like it's interesting it's literally the exact so it's it's literally the karate kid all grown up yeah so they actually do flashbacks of the karate kid all the time because it's the same actors but i i kept seeing people post about it and so i was like all right i'll give it a shot and i was never a big karate kid fan i think i've seen it once yeah but I started watching it, and there's just, like, little subtle things that are funny. And then, like, you start really rooting for these, like, nerdy kids that are, like, one of them learns karate and, like, beats up, like, the school bully. And it's, like, you get amped up. It's funny. I was watching it last night, and I came out of the room, and Shan's like, what? And I was like, I think I'm going to start karate lessons. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was like, this is just one of your ideas again. And I was like, that show makes me want to just fucking kick something. <laughs> That's so, awesome. You like a, I mean, not probably not, like, that bad, like, Gotham? You know how it's like a flashbacks oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, different time period than yeah. the actual Batman movies? Yeah. That show was dope. Yeah. I liked that a lot. R- true Batman fans don't enjoy it because it's like a playoff Batman. Yeah. Like I brought it up to... You're not, uh, a, you're not a true Batman fan. <laughs> I guess not. I thought, I thought Batman was always one of my favorites, but I brought it up to Vinny <coughs> and uh, the guys Zach. from Pop Heroes. Yeah, yeah. Like all the comic book guys. And they were just like, oh, come on, bro. Damn. Gotham. I was like, dude, it's good. What yeah. are you talking about? But... Interesting. Yeah, you got to watch Cobra Guy. You'd like it. So are we starting with uh, Derek Muir? We are going to start with Derek Muir. All right, cool. So first question is from Derek Muir. It says, uh, oh, he has two questions. First one says for powerlifting, throughout throughout a year, how many weeks or cycles should one step away from training specifically for strength, and how do some bodybuilding style or at least power building style training? It's hard to say because as as mostly it's always individual. Yeah. But I think like it, it kind of depends on what you're lacking. You know, like if you have a background in power building or bodybuilding and you're a pretty big dude, I'm not going to phase you into that that often because I don't think your weak point is how much muscle mass you have. Gotcha. But if you have um, – and he's a perfect example. He's in the Taylor Trainer. He jumped in because he thought – he's a power lifter and he was like, it might be time for me to add some bodybuilding. He's doing the performance bodybuilding and everything's fucking going up. Um, so he's like a perfect testament of this. So he's probably wondering now, like, okay, how long do I do this? And then how, like, how often do I got to come back to this bodybuilding style training um, or do a mix? And I think it, it really depends on how competitive you are. If you're somebody like me, it makes more sense to undulate it weekly, which would mean that I do both all the time, right? It's power building. Like I do some low rep stuff and I do some high rep stuff because I do want to be strong, but I also want to be big. And I'm also not competing in anything, so I don't need to be great at either one of those. I just want to be pretty good at both of them. Sure. Um, most people fall into that category. For somebody like him who's a competitive bodybuilder, I think at most every three months, but most likely probably every like four to six months. So you go through like a few mesocycles, like a few blocks few months of training for powerlifting and then bring in some bodybuilding. Um, or you can do it, and this I, I learned this from uh, Christian Thibodeau. This is a really cool way of doing it. You can literally go three weeks on, one week off. So you have three weeks of training for performance and strength and uh, powerlifting and stuff like that. And then your deload week every fourth week is just purely bodybuilding. You take out all barbell movements. You do more pump work, high rep stuff, um, and you just sprinkle that in. So you maintain your hypertrophy, if not gain some along the way, but you're just sprinkling it in every few weeks. So the dominance of your program is still powerlifting. Gotcha. There's a lot of ways to do it. I think it, it comes down to like a three to one ratio. Uh, almost always. E- either you can either, th- I've heard two thirds and three fourths as both like good ratios, but essentially 
two thirds of your training in a block, in a day, in a year, really any way you want to spin it should be prioritizing your main focus. So let's say he is even, he's more like me. Like I'm even this phase I'm in right now, for example, I'm doing both because I'm always going to be interested in both, but two thirds of my training is actually lower rep explosive stuff. It's, it's more about strength because that's my main goal right now. You should always have a main goal. Gotcha. Um, previously two thirds of my training was high rep, high volume isolation work because my main goal was building muscles and a surplus. I was just trying to get bigger. So if you can have that school of thought, you can do it in two ways. I can say, Hey, I'm going to do everything. So that means two thirds of my training would be like the first two thirds of today is all low rep strength stuff. And then like my finisher is high rep. And that's just a third of my training, right? The last thing I do, or you can look at it on a weekly basis two thirds of my sessions throughout the week are strength focus. One third is hypertrophy focus, or you can look at it from like a, a quarterly or a yearly thing. Two thirds of my blocks. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go three, three blocks in a row or two blocks in a row of strength training and then put one block in that is hypertrophy. Focus. Are, you, are you splitting these blocks up into three, four week periods? Oh, okay. So uh, typically a mesocycle is about That's what, that was my next weeks. question. Yeah. So it's usually about three to four weeks. It kind of just depends on the person. You can even make it six because there's different personality types. And sometimes people take a longer time to acclimate mentally to what they're doing. And it actually gives them anxiety if you you switch it too much. So if I gave you a new program every three weeks and you're that type of person, you're actually going to perform worse because you're less motivated because you're less familiar. Whereas somebody like me, I change my blocks every three weeks because by the time I hit my third week – I'm ready for new exercises and I'm excited to start new things, um, which is, and that's just part of my personality. I think never been diagnosed, but I think it's partly just, I have ADD. Like I I even had, uh, when Sam was out here training, he was like, dude, you take the shortest rest periods ever. And I was like, I know it's not scientifically best, but (laughs) I just want to go. Like, I just want to keep moving and doing stuff. And me and CJ, like just go back and forth, back and forth because I just like moving. Yeah. So for me, it's, I like change. I like novelty, but for some people it's longer, but I think in general, like two thirds of your training should be focused on your main thing. So every probably few months for him, if you're looking at a year, cause I think he said yearly, right? He asked for a year. I think he said yep, throughout yep, the yep. year. How many weeks or cycles? Yep. Yeah. So I would probably go like either two blocks or three blocks. So that could be like eight weeks or 12 weeks of mainly strength training. And then you sprinkle in one block, which would be four weeks. Uh, so maybe it's like three months powerlifting, one month bodybuilding, essentially. Um, I think for your specific case right now, I think you should spend the next three to four months just doing bodybuilding and hypertrophy like you're doing. You're doing a performance bodybuilding program. So he has those two days. He has a two max effort days at the beginning of the week, which are going to allow him to work on powerlifting still. So he's going to maintain his strength fine. But because he's been just powerlifting for so long and not doing any bodybuilding for probably well over a year, if not mm. multiple years, it's probably going to be best to stay in bodybuilding for a little bit longer than the average person. And then once he starts his gains start slowing down, I think that's when you switch to the two thirds model of like two thirds of your training is powerlifting versus bodybuilding. Gotcha. So he's got a second question. It says, <clears throat> "How much do macros matter outside of protein and calories?" Could one track just these two and be successful or do fast and carbs really need to be tracked? And if so, why? I think it's it's kind of like a hierarchy of importance. If you look at research, technically, 100%, you can just track calories and protein. The, the problem I have with it is is a lot of times when we look at that research, it does two things. One, it's good because it tells us calories are what matter most. You have to have those in track. But it's also usually done on like obese individuals who need to lose a lot of weight. 
if I was just tracking calories and protein, it wouldn't work as well as tracking all macros because I'm not a beginner. I'm not obese. I have more muscle mass than the average person. So I need more carbs, right? And I don't need as much fat um, because I'm not sedentary. I'm, I'm going. So I'm going to use carbs as my fuel more. So I think as you like, it's kind of like the scale of, of advancement at the beginner level, calories and protein are totally fine. And as you get more advanced, it's more likely you're going to need to do carbs, fats, protein, and all all calories. Um, And then obviously the more specific your goal is, the more you have to do that. And and when somebody's a beginner, it's hard for them to do it anyway. So it it almost just makes sense from an adherence standpoint. If you're brand new to this, I don't want to load you up with so much information and so many things to do that you're overwhelmed and can't adhere at all. And you're just lacking consistency. I would rather give you just a couple things, which would be just hit your calories and protein and you'll be fine. But once you plateau, you're probably going to implement carbs and fats for somebody like him 100% all macros because he's an advanced lifter looking for maximum strength and muscle you're gonna want more more carbs and protein so I think if they if they took those research studies and they did it with like well-trained athletes I think they would show a, a big difference because we know that carbs probably have a tougher time storing his body fat than fat does and they have a much easier time being used as fuel than fat does. So it makes sense if we have a highly trained athlete, if we gave them more carbs, less fats, they'd probably be leaner and build more muscle. Definitely. You know? Yeah. So cool. Um, so we'll go to the next question is from Adrian Franklin. What are some fitness and nutrition modifications for pregnancy and postpartum? Uh, nutrition one's easy. Uh, I typically tell people stop tracking. Like, I mean, you can be like, so there's this old thing. I don't know if you, you might've even heard this. Like, uh, you gotta, you gotta eat for your baby. You know, you gotta eat for, eat for two or whatever when they, when you're pregnant and the rule of thumb was 500 extra calories. And there's been like, at least in the, in the certifications and the nutritionist course and stuff that I've done, when we learn about this phase of pregnancy, I mean, the embryo is the size of a peanut. It doesn't need 500 calories. It doesn't need any extra calories, really. Yeah. It's just taking your vitamins and minerals. Yeah. And then as it gets bigger, it's still very, very small. Um, you know, like if you look at what a baby eats, I would assume a baby eats 1,000 calories at most. Like, you know, like I, I think throughout, about... Throughout a day. Yeah, because I, like, I think about my portion size, and if we give Blakely a little bit, you know, it's literally like, she'll eat some steak, right? She'll have a quarter of a steak, maybe. You know, and then she'll have like some granted cheese, two and a half, three, two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking like a newborn, even less. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. And it's all just mush. It's all just, yeah. but, uh, baby food and milk. But I think point being is you don't need to be in as big of a surplus as people think. If you're going to track, I would probably find your maintenance and then maybe add a hundred calories. You're going to want to be at body weight, uh, in protein. Cause you need to get enough protein. That's what's going to help your milk supply. Um, you got to remember too, when you become pregnant, you have to train less. You're going to be sore. You're going to be hormonal. You're probably going to move less because you're not going to want to move around. You just want to chill. Understandably, your energy expenditure is going to go down because of that. So although your energy expenditure goes up from growing a baby and then eventually breastfeeding a baby, your lack of activity kind of balances it out. So you could probably be at maintenance and be fine, maybe just a little bit extra calories coming mm-hmm. in. Um, but most people I say don't track. You know, I think the only reason I would say track is if you're like a competitive athlete and you need to make sure that you don't gain too much weight during pregnancy because you have to rebound for your sport post-pregnancy, right? Yeah. But that's not most people. So I would probably recommend just intuitively eating and really just focusing on food quality because, you know, 
artificial sweeteners and processed sugar and all those things technically are fine for us if we have them within our calories. We know that, but we're also way different than an embryo and and a little baby growing inside your body. They can't handle that stuff as well. So it's probably safer to cut out a lot of the processed shit Mm -hmm. and focus on real food. So don't restrict your calories. Just focus on an isolated group of foods that are really, really healthy and full of nutrients because more than anything, that baby's going to be pulling all your vitamins and minerals, right? Well, vitamins and minerals don't have any calories, so it doesn't. The whole flexible dieting thing kind of goes out the window. You need nutrient dense foods. Mm, yeah. so you should be eating salmon and lamb and steak and grass fed beef and things like that that are protein, but they have a lot of extra uh, fat and um, nutrients in it. Fruits, vegetables, sweet potatoes, oats, like anything that you can think of that's just has a ton of nutrients in it, and then. You're going to want to prioritize omega-3s, uh, omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil or salmon or some uh, uh, natal uh, multivitamins like that you take during pregnancy have omega-3s in it too. But that's going to help the neurological development of the baby. So brain function, spinal cord, um, nerves, all that kind of stuff is going to be really, really helpful um, amongst yourself be staying healthy while you have the baby, obviously too. And that actually is going to get delivered through the breast milk. So definitely take plenty omega threes. Uh, there's a lot of good research on that for pregnancy. women. I think you can go to examine.com and check that out too. I think they have a good article on that specific thing. Um, but for the most part, you're just focusing on nutrient dense foods. You're around maintenance, maybe slight surplus. Um, and for training, you're, you're going to want to drop intensity more than volume because you don't like your your the q angle of a, of a female's hip is basically like how wide the structures of hip and it and expands yeah. when, when you're getting pregnant because it's got to get ready to push out a baby <laughs> um therefore you're having some like some bones kind of shifting around it's just not smart to do heavy deadlifts and shit uh, yeah um so for those people i always say like hey like tone down intensity and keep volume the same. You can still do as much work, but you're just going to leave more reps in the tank. You're not going to go as heavy. Um, and then as the pregnancy comes along, you've got to start avoiding overhead movements, um, any like uh, extension of the ribcage, so like ab wheels and stuff like that, because you don't want to stretch your abdominal wall. And the baby's getting bigger. Well, and as that happens, your abdominal wall is already stretching. So uh. if you do too much overhead work or you're doing chin-ups and you're stretching a bunch, you can you can actually rip your abdominal wall. Um, and then you have like this weird scar, scar. and stuff afterwards. Yeah. So not smart and it's painful, I'm sure. Um, so just avoiding that kind of stuff and really heavy lifting. And then obviously you can't, you know, do exercises where you're laying on your stomach and, and certain things like that, which yeah. are pretty obvious. Um, I like training people with like basic compound lifts with minimal equipment. So like instead of a back squat, we're doing like goblet squat, supersetted with an elevated push up on a barbell, supersetted with a kettlebell deadlift, supersetted with a TRX row. And then you're going to push the sled down and back. Yep. Right. So you're getting some metabolic work and you're just doing a circuit. I, more than anything, I want your, your heart rate somewhat elevated, but controlled and then just sustained over time because the cardiovascular benefit is going to help your immune function. It's going to help the nutrients of the baby and your energy systems and all those kind of things too. And yeah, you can build some strength and muscle, but you should have done that before you're pregnant more than anything. Definitely. So, and then postnatal, it's really the same thing, just in reverse. So, those changes you started making as you were getting more pregnant, you would make them in the opposite fashion as you were leaving pregnancy. So, right after pregnancy, ramp, ramp it up. Yeah, you still can't do all the stretching of the abdominal wall overhead stuff. But as I think they say, like eight, after eight weeks, you're basically good to go. So, over the course of eight weeks, you kind of just test the waters and you slowly start adding a little bit of core work in, start lifting a little bit heavier. But just give yourself some time. Yeah. And everybody's pregnancy is different. Some women bounce back like that, and other women have weeks and weeks of um, 
not fun, yeah. <laughs> you know, recovery. Yeah. Do you guys uh, have a lot of pregnancy clients? I did. I yeah. don't know why, but when I was an uh, in-person trainer, I had a lot. I, I remember specifically working with multiple women who I was training already, then they got pregnant, and I trained them through their entire pregnancy and then their postpartum, and then continued after that. Um, so I ended up getting really good at it, and I had some women that like would just, dude, they, like I had one lady that literally had such an easy birth, um, and she was like, "I'm thank you so much, because it just it came out faster, came out easier, the baby was healthier, I wasn't in labor for as long, it didn't, wasn't as painful, and it's because we strengthened her pelvic floor, we worked on a lot of breathing stuff, she was strong in yeah. general, Um it just made the whole process better. That's why I always tell people, like, if you ever think you're going to get pregnant, start lifting weights now. Yeah. Honestly, because when you do get pregnant, it's going to be so much easier if you're fit and the baby's going to be healthier. Yeah. So, like, why not? Dope. But, <clears throat> That's great. All right. So, the next question, uh, again, is two questions. Same person. It says, uh, oh, they're from Tiffany Warlowski. First question is, I would like a podcast... Oh, <laughs> I would like a podcast on your thoughts regarding what is the most efficient way to pro- progress your training. The RP team seems to favor adding sets each week and the others like Eric Helms favor adding reps or weight instead of instead and to stay within your RIR of one to two reps from failure. In the latter, what tips can you provide to know you're close enough to failure or working hard enough to <clears throat> grow muscle? I think I'm going to reach out to one of the people that was on the paper um, who kind of like, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they were ping pong back and forth. Essentially, like, RP came out with like a uh, an article or a study or something that was basically saying Bouncing like, ideas? Yeah, well, they said that the most productive way to build muscle and, and progress your training is to add sets as okay. the weeks go on. So you might start with like maybe your leg day is uh, – Barbell squats, leg press, leg extension, RDLs, and then like leg curl. You have these five exercises. You only do two two sets of everything, which mm-hmm. is not that much. Mm-hmm. But the next week you do three. Then you do four. Then mm-hmm. you do five. Then you do six sets of everything, which is a ton of volume. And then you cycle back to two as a deload week and then repeat that process. And what is that called? Uh, set progression. Okay. I guess you could call it. Um, Renaissance periodization is pretty big on it, Mike Isertel. Um, in theory, it makes sense. And it's, and it's hard – you, I always look at things from both the theoretical perspectives of the people are because the argument was from Brian Miner, um, Eric Helms, and I think one more person was on that paper that they, they wrote an article arguing it and saying that that's not the most productive way. And it's actually been like there's been multiple podcasts of like roundtables of them going back and forth and debating. So it's been interesting. It's been like a current thing. But I think I'm going to get one of them on the podcast because I think they could explain it better. Have you had all of them on the podcast? I have. Oh, so, okay. um, I mean, I could do a roundtable, I guess. Oh, that would be sick. That would be cool. Maybe okay. I'll ask them that. But point being, two things. One, I always got to look at two sides of it, right? Theoretical and then anecdotal. So theoretical would be, what's Mike and RP's argument for this? Does it make sense? Is it valid? And then is it practical? And then what's Eric and Brian and whoever else's perspective. And is that practical? Is Does it theoretically make sense? Um, and then I have to look at uh, what does my experience tell me, right? Like what does my ex- personal experience as a natural lifter that's been doing this for a long time tell me? Um, first and foremost, my experience tells me that set progression is not ideal. Um, I do not want to progress up to six sets per exercise. It's just, it's just brutal. Yeah. Part of the reason why it works for them is because they're extremely dedicated bodybuilders. So the other guy I know who does it is, I, I believe Steve Hall does this. He does. He's one of the most dedicated natural bodybuilders 
and he looks amazing. So he's really good at a sport, but not everybody is that dedicated. So I think it's a, it's a very small population who this set progression will actually work for because you're going to need to spend long hours in the gym or you split up your sessions. So I know Mike and, um, uh, Steve do separate sessions. So they'll do a, a morning session and a night session. Gotcha. So if I had squats, leg press, leg extension, RDL, and leg curls, like I said earlier, and there were six sets of everything in one session, I'm there for two hours easily, right? But if I split that into two sessions, maybe I'm doing like 45 minutes and 45 minutes, right? I'm not, I'm going to get through it more efficiently because I'm not as tired because I haven't just done squats and leg press, right? Now I come in and I just do RDLs and hamstrings or hamstring curls. And then before I did just squats and leg press. Are you saying two, two sessions, one day, two sessions, one day, There you go. morning session, night session. Okay. Um, another thing, how many people can do that? Yeah. You know, and, and here's the other thing too. I own a gym. Yeah. I could do that. Mm-hmm. No way in hell I'm doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to. Yeah. And I have too much other stuff that's important to me to be doing that too much. Yeah. Now, this isn't a knock on them because bodybuilding is that thing for them. That's a, that's how important it is. I think business and creative entrepreneurship is more important to me than, than just lifting weights. So I wouldn't sacrifice my time to lift in order to do that. They would, and that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I think in my personal opinion, I don't like set progression because I don't think from practical experience, I don't think it, it's very practical. I don't think people can adhere to it very consistently. Um, from a theoretical standpoint, I think it, it's one of those things where they see swings in growth because of it because you reach up to six sets. You're basically overreaching. So what they're doing is going from uh, maintenance volume to minimum effective volume to maximum adaptive volume to maximum recoverable volume. Yeah. So they're basically taking their volume from a standpoint of I'm maintaining to this is the absolute most that I can kind of recover from, but I can't stay here very long. And then I cycle back down. Yeah. So they might see this super compensation effect where like a little bit of progress, a little bit of progress. And then, then when they come back to deload the super compensation where they see this big gain, whereas Eric's, uh, way of doing it is more just steady, like very minimal gains, but consistently, yeah. and you just keep going. I'm a bigger fan of that. I think for natural lifters, it works better in most cases. I think the set progression can work if if hypertrophy and bodybuilding is your only goal. Um, I like Eric's way of doing it better, where it's basically, and this is the same way I do it. It's a linear progression for some compounds, so you might decrease volume, increase intensity, right? Because as an advanced lifter, I can't consistently add five pounds on the bar doing eight reps every week like it's it's very unlikely so instead like the program we're in right now seven reps then the next week five reps then the next week three reps and then the next week we go back to seven so the three-week blocks and we're dropping reps adding load so the next time i get to three i'll be lifting heavier than the previous time i did three on that lift three weeks ago right so it's like this wave loading process so linear periodization yeah for uh accessory work you can do that or you can just stay in a rep range so double progression method would be all right on this i'm doing six to eight reps right and i'm going to pick a weight that i know i can do three sets of six with that's pretty heavy and over the next couple blocks i want to get to three sets of eight with it so i'm keeping my rir at about one to two reps in the tank but because i'm getting stronger i'm able to squeeze out another rep over time right so it might go eight 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 and then the next week eight nine eight and then it's nine nine eight and then it's nine 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 and then eventually i'm getting to three sets ten for example um i like that better i think it's more practical Uh, i think it's easier to track i think it's uh, less demanding in the gym um and there's less complication it's just simpler you know you're just really just progressing um i also think for for me personally going back to personality types i like changing my exercise selection more regularly and with a set progression you can't do that because if i'm going to do a set progression 
I have to sit on this leg press for the next however many weeks to make sure I do it. And even more optimal, I got to do another block on the same exercises to see if I improved on those next six weeks of set progression. Whereas somebody like me who likes to change the programming every few weeks because I do get bored and I like to stay motivated, um, for me, it makes more sense to just have an RIR target. So how many reps am I leaving in the tank? And I'm going to push to that level of intensity, basically always leaving one to two in the tank, very rarely going to complete failure. Yeah. And then just trying to lift heavier over time with that. So I think my opinion is is more along the lines of Eric's. It's not to say that it is better. I think it's more practical. And I think it's more likely to work effectively for a larger population of people. I think the set progression is much more advanced and I think it's much more geared towards dedicated bodybuilders. Most definitely. Which is fine. You know, like I think if that is you and you want to maximize hypertrophy, you should give it a try. Like, I mean, the thing is this, like the one thing I will say is like Steve's jacked, Mike's jacked, Jared Feather's jacked, all the guys that do this, they're fucking huge. And even like Jared and Mike are on steroids and they're open about it. Um, Steve is natural, but he's still jacked, and yeah. he does it. So it's kind of like, does it work? Of course. Look at him. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then you can look at Eric and Brian and all the people they've produced, and they're all pro bodybuilders. So it's like, does their method work? Of course. It's just like a diet, right? Yep. What diet is the best diet? Well, they all fucking work. Are you creating a deficit or not? Yeah. What can you do consistently? Yeah. Period. Um, and yeah, and I know for me, the last thing I'll say is like after a week of doing – like high high sets like so if you let's say you do work up six that'd be so sore and just beat and tired like yeah, i don't know i couldn't do it recovery time yeah i just and i just think about like for me personally and this and this relates to a lot of people the amount of good stress but the amount of stress i have running a business and being a dad it's like i can't recover from that kind of training too <laughs> yeah. like i'm already 100%. having a tough time recovering from four days a week lifting you know so it's like just not practical. Hey, Thank guys. You. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. But I wanted to pop in real quick and shout out my sponsor, Legion Athletics. Legion Athletics is the number one brand of all-natural sports supplements in the world. They are naturally sweetened and flavored supplements that are scientifically backed with good ingredients and proper doses, which is pretty rare in the supplement space, to be honest with you. And you get 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. So if you hate the product, which probably won't happen, you can get all your money back. Right now, you can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% off your first order and start getting loyalty points so you can get free supplements in the future. Legion is literally a company that I have been using for years, not only for myself, but also with my family and with all of my clients. They have some great products for sports performance and health, and I really can't say enough about who they are as a brand, their transparency, because they are one of the only supplement companies that actually says nutrition and training is more important than supplements. So they are very honest. They are very science-driven and evidence-based, and they are the real deal when it comes to the top quality supplements that you can get on the market. So once again, head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save today. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the episode. So the next question is, uh, again, second question from Tiffany. It says, I heard Eric Helms I heard Eric Helms say on a podcast that if you add a rep and you get closer to failure, then you are not actually progressing because you are supposed to stay within the same one to two RIR every workout. If that is the case, then how do you know when to add another rep? I have all I have also or I've always progressed my training by tr- trying to add a rep each week until I hit the top of my rep range on all sets. But sometimes that does. I think she means to say that doesn't result in getting closer to failure. 
So basically she's saying... I mean, there's a lot more to this question if you want me to read it. Okay. Good. Uh, I don't want to be hurting my muscle growth by increasing too too fast and not giving my muscles time to adapt and grow. So how will I know it's time to try for the next rep? Do I need to wait until all reps in the set feel the same or no longer challenging? I, I honestly never d- disagree with Eric, but I would disagree with that. But I also I think she might have misinterpreted what he was saying uh, because it's almost impossible to progress if you don't approach closer to failure at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't have a choice. You know, I think that um, the, the other side of this too, we have to remember is that a lot of people completely underestimate their RIR. So they're like, well, I'm staying at two RIR. And it's like, no, you're really like four RIR. Like you need to get closer to failure and you don't know what one rep shy of failure actually is. Someone's helping you hold that bar. hundred percent. Um, and you, what you should do if you, if you think that might be you, one, you should do a, uh, like pick like 50 to 65% of your, uh, max weight or maybe even like 80%. It doesn't really matter how much you do, but do as many reps as you possibly can until you literally can't do it. So like it, I want you having a spotter to the point where like the bar is laying on your chest, you can't get it up and then yeah. somebody helps you up or a trap bar where you literally trap bar deadlift or a regular deadlift where you can't finish last rep or a squat set up pin so you can just drop onto the pins. But you need to feel what it feels like to literally not be able to complete another rep. Once you have that feeling, you'll be able to gauge your RIR That's a better. That's a zero because you oh, failed. Oh, okay. But now you can gauge. Okay, now I really know what a one is because I had one rep left in the tank, did it, and then I failed, right? Um, they've done studies on this too where they tell people put the, the most weight you can lift on the bar for 10 reps and people put on their weight and the lowest rep count in a big group study was 12 okay. and it was supposed to be for 10. The highest was 26 and the average was like 16 or 18, Okay, which means that most people completely underestimate how many reps they can do or how much weight they can lift. So I would make that argument and I also think that you know, there's, there's also a really good way to progress your training through RIR. So you can actually start Week one at four RIR, which is like a deload, get used to the new movement patterns. Week two is three RIR. Week uh, three is two RIR. Week four is one RIR. And then week one is one and some zeros. And then you come back to a new program at like four RIR, which is a deload, get used to new movements. All you're doing there is is you're reaching closer to failure as the weeks go on and you get more comfortable with the, the lifts and your weight will go up. So it's a linear progression and it auto-regulates your recovery yeah. over the course of time through periodization. You get more comfortable what, with what a less number at RIR feels like. Exactly. And yeah. you know how to progress that. Yep. Um, and that works. It, but if that didn't work, that would be – what that statement that she said is claiming that what I just said doesn't work. Yeah. You know, getting closer to failure as time goes on. Um, so I think I, – I, and at the same time too, we have to understand that it could have been interpreted wrong in the sense that maybe he meant if you're doing eight to 10 reps and you're leaving one rep in the tank, you should get stronger over time. So you might get three sets of eight right now with one rep in the tank. But after a few weeks of training, you should have three sets of nine with one rep in the tank because you got stronger. Yeah. So one rep is, is, is further away um, as time goes on. So I think, again, that goes back to you're just not properly understanding how to gauge your RIR. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for a lot of people. Um, even for myself, like I thought I was really good at it when I trained in my garage by myself. And then I started yep. lifting with somebody and I was like, I can lift way more fucking weight than I thought. Yeah. Way stronger than I thought. Yeah. Which is cool. But I mean, you, you have to have a second person. You have to. I mean, and and you don't, there's, there's ways around it, but you probably won't get to that point if you don't have somebody around you. Because you don't have somebody to push you. Absolutely. Or catch the bar if you <laughs> fucking fall. Yeah. I mean, like, 
like you said, those strap things or pins or whatever you call them. Yeah. Even those, your confidence goes way, way more up. Mm-hmm. That's because like you know you're not gonna. And if, even if, even in a gym, like you can lift. So like you can do a negative of a lift with way more weight than a positive, right? Definitely. So if I'm doing a back squat and I set up pins and I I can't get it up, I could slowly lower it so it's not like this big loud noise in the gym and everybody looks at you and yeah. you're like fuck god damn it yeah. but realistically even if that did happen it made a loud noise everybody who's actually in the gym is going to look at you and go fuck nice try man yeah you know like good job for trying yeah like nobody's going to make fun of you yeah um but i think everybody's always always worried definitely um but i think uh yeah i th- I, I don't completely agree i think that you can progress rir and i think you do need to get closer and closer to failure at some point in time for most people um in order to break through because as we know too like higher intensity equal is more neurological based and it's going to be better for strength so if you're trying to get stronger theoretically it makes sense to get closer and closer to failure so you can in- increase intensity lift more weight get stronger repeat the process for sure all right, so the next question is going to come from Tammy Wubin. My client who counts macros suddenly got nauseous and thought and thought of protein powder. She was using it once a day. I helped her figure out ways to hit her protein with real foods. She quickly lost five pounds. Her protein powder didn't contain creatine. Any thoughts? Creatine would definitely have nothing to do with it. She was using, uh, using protein powder. <laughs> Sorry, that cracked me. Once up. a day. Yeah. Why is she that was, funny? She said she was using. <laughs> Never mind. Fuck. <laughs> I don't understand why that's so funny. Just keep going. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Uh, okay. Um, it's definitely not creatine. I mean, I guess I can say it's definitely not creatine. Um, I mean, the best way to. Well. She's not asking if it was creatine because there's no creatine in there. So, duh. But my thought was just like I've never heard of anybody getting nauseous from creatine. So I, I wouldn't even – that wouldn't even come to mind. But uh, there's plenty of people who are intolerant to whey protein. It just doesn't sit well, whether it's the whey or sometimes it's the artificial sweeteners inside the whey. So a lot of them use like sucralose and things like that. That can affect people's gut um, and make them nauseous yeah. uh, if they're using protein. <laughs> How she? But she said she quickly lost five pounds after she did it from real foods. Yeah, I think that's just a coincidence. Gotcha. Most likely, like two things could happen. One, she could have been drinking uh, protein powder and then had just bad gut health, and yeah. that was like holding weight loss back just from water retention, food retention. Um, or when she started eating food, she actually started eating enough protein. And her thermic effect food kicked up. She burned more calories per day and she just lost weight over time. I doubt she just dropped four pounds like that. Yeah. It was probably, why is that so funny to you? This guy's like trying so hard to hold back a laugh. Did using, yeah, is it supposed, using protein powder is like a normal thing to say. Does it sound like using a drug or something? Yeah, I mean, just, I've never heard it called that way, but dude. What would you say? It's a great question. Drinking protein powder? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> God, that's funny. All right. I, I mean, love when you're trying to hold back a laugh. I need a drink, dude. It's so funny oh to me. Oh, my God. I'm trying not to um, run the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I think – I honestly just think it's, it's a fluke. It's, yeah. it's just a random thing that happened. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't read into it. Um, protein's super important. She's probably just intolerant to it. So, yeah, And if she's eating possible. it from real food, it's probably going to be better for her anyway. Yeah. What, what kind of like uh, – well, obviously, meat and stuff. I'm saying like – is that what she means, protein from – yeah, like meats. chicken, meat, uh, fish, eggs, 
Maybe even dairy. I would try dairy because dairy is a great protein. Yeah. I got that confused. I was thinking she was getting creatine from food, but that's not what she's saying. No. Gotcha. Um, but yeah. You can't, I mean, I don't know if that's a legit, legit question or not. Can you get creatine from yep. other sources than? Yep. Steak, some fish, like mostly red meat. Okay. Um, not enough to support like the amount that we want Yeah, to build muscle. Yeah. Um, but you, I mean, you'd have to eat a lot of fucking steak in order to get that much. <laughs> yeah. Which honestly, actually, like, I, I don't know how, who they're, what these studies are basing it off of. I have to look it up. You can look up, like, how much creatine is in four ounces of steak or something. But, I mean, I eat steak four nights a week, probably. So, I mean, I might be getting five grams of creatine. Yeah. But probably not daily. That's the problem. Is you have to have five grams yeah, of daily. I'm wondering how much, I don't know how to say it, grams or whatever, or ounces, ounces of steak you have to have to get. Five grams of creatine. Exactly. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> I, I, I want to actually say I have looked that up before. I think it was like a pound or something yeah. like crazy. I want to shop. Which, you know, if you're if you're on a carnivore diet, you got plenty. Yeah. That means you only eat meat? That's all. That's only meat. Is that only like meat? You, no carbs, no... F- Nothing, dude. Just veggies? Meat, just meat all day. <laughs> Wake up, have a ribeye for breakfast, maybe some bacon on the side. Whoa. Hey, touche. After Justin and I worked out last night, we went on a shopping spree at Blue Max. Good. Yeah. Oh, Blue Max is the shit. All right, cool. I might buy a cow. That's awesome, Tammy, but I think, like Cody said, it's just a coincidence. All right, man, we we got a lot of two-part questions today. Wow. Good. Good. Uh, this next one comes from Jen Johnston. It says, special nutrition considerations for those going through menopause or pre-menopause. Do you approach things differently? Um. We're not going to answer this one. Uh, you do a whole podcast on it? We're going to do a whole podcast on it. I just wanted to say that just to give you guys a teaser. I brought Travis Zipper on. Uh, we did a literally an entire podcast on how to lose weight when you have menopause, and we created a guide as like a cheat sheet to give you so you can sign up and get a free download with That's it awesome. as well. Um, so I'm going to save all that for that podcast. I'm just going to say and leave you with, yes, there are special considerations, and we do things slightly different, um, but it doesn't need to be as complicated as you would think. So stay tuned for that podcast. It should air in a few weeks, and then the free download will be with that. There you go. Should I ask Jen the second question? Yep. All right. What is your checklist for addressing digestive issues as you start to increase calories inside of a reverse? Less re- uh, regular bowel movements, feeling of food sitting in your stomach, and et cetera. As, as going through a reverse? Yeah. Um, this is actually a scenario where I do like taking some supplementation. Yeah. Like uh, – Glutamine is helpful for gut, but mainly like different digestive enzymes. So um, we had them on the podcast, and I fucking deleted the <laughs> podcast. It was uh, – the file was like corrupted and shit, and I couldn't restore yeah. it or – I don't know the word lingo. But um, but I reached out to him. He's going to come back on, so we're going to redo the podcast. But um, Wade Lightheart, he owns uh, – he's the founder of BioOptimizers. Um, I've been taking their stuff for – quite a while and I've known about them for a long time, but they make a bunch of different digestive enzymes, probiotics, all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it's really helpful. And I think like as you're increasing calories, it makes sense to add in some type of enzymes to help you break down those foods. And it can be as simple as, you know, if you go with our bio optimizers, um, I'll put a link in the show notes. I believe I'll put a link in the show notes. If I remember the code, cause he gave us a discount link. Cool. So, um, and I don't get anything out of it, but you guys save, but they have ones like specifically for carbs and proteins, ones for fat, so on and so forth. But um, 
you can just have general enzymes too. And I, I think that does help. It helps with bloating, helps with all that. Um, I would also look at food groups. So sometimes what happens is people <clears throat> go on a diet and even if they're flexible dieting, they may not be restricting certain foods on purpose. But when I drop my calories, I naturally stop eating blank because yeah. I don't have as many calories to play with. So for example, when I'm in a full bulk, I love bagels. When I go to cut, I never eat bagels because a bagel is like fucking 60 grams of carbs at least. Yeah. And it's just a lot of, I'm not going to waste that many carbs. I can have way more rice. So I'm going to have rice when I'm cutting. Um, but that's a good example. Like maybe when you, when you dieted, you cut out foods that were higher calorie. And then when you started reversing, you started bringing different foods back in and you just have to audit that. Like maybe you're not responding well to certain foods that you're bringing back into your diet because you have more calories to play with. For sure. Um, and then, so that, and then I would potentially look at like a low FODMAP diet if, if it doesn't go away, if you're really struggling with bloating and, and, and um, gas or digestive issues or anything. Low FODMAP diet is going to be, it's, it's an easy diet to adhere to. It's not super restrictive. It's not a full elimination diet, but it cuts out a lot of foods that do uh, have problems in the gut for most people. I um, mean, some of them are like green vegetables that mm-hmm. are super healthy, but for some people, they just don't agree well. I've had a lot of people go on a low FODMAP and respond super well to it. So my three things would be digestive enzymes, uh, low FODMAP potentially, and then just making sure you audit what foods you brought back in when you started the reverse. Um, mm. And make sure it's not mental. Because sometimes like I've had women that are like, I'm, I'm bloated, I'm like gaining, like I feel so big on this reverse, I'm eating too much food, and we weigh in and they're like a pound up and their pictures look better. And I'm like, it's 100% in your head. You saw the number on the scale and you immediately associate that with heavy or fat or too much. Um, it's just a number and yep. it's, it's not the case. So make sure it's not mental cause it happens more o- often than not. Gotcha. You know, damn, that's crazy that it can quote unquote mind fuck people. Dude, it's a, it's a hundred percent of mind fuck. Yeah. I would even say, even for me, I will even get tripped up on it. Like look yeah. in the mirror. I'm like, damn, I, I probably lost a little on this kick. Cause I'm like, I'm feeling myself. I'm looking good. And then you step on the scale and then you didn't lose anything. You look back in the mirror and like, it literally was like, Oh, I guess I don't really look that lean. Yeah. <laughs> like changes my mind. After, immediately. after you went to the scale. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and guys do that when they're trying to gain weight too. They like feel puny because they're not gaining weight. You know, it's like, yeah. dude, it's crazy. That how a majority of the popularity is trying to lose weight. And then people are getting pissed off for not being able to gain weight. Not like, not like health issues because some people cannot gain weight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that same. But like when you're in a bulk, yeah. people are getting mad that they can't gain weight. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, like it's uh, even even for me. Like I gained weight pretty consistently, and then there was a good like chunk of time where it was like so slow or just stagnant, and I get frustrated. Yeah. I'm like, I want to see that fucking scale go up. Yeah. And then it's so weird how like because you're second, eager because you're eager to get to that cut. Um, or you just want to get heavier? I think it's just because I'm in the pursuit of a goal. Okay. Like, my goal right now is to be as big as possible without getting fat. And like, so not going I quick think enough. that we, we had an idea of like 185 is probably where I'm going to end up, which seemed like a lot of weight to gain. But we started working up towards that. We got to 183. So I was pretty happy with that. But I remember there was a point between like 178 to one, like 179 maybe. It just stopped. It was just so slow for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I would get super frustrated. But mm-hmm. then the second I started to cut, your mind shifts and you're immediately, here we go. Can't wait to lose weight. Yeah. Like, is the scale going down? Is mm-hmm. the scale going down? And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I'm losing like a quarter of a pound a week, just like snail pace. Oh my God. But 
I'm not in a rush, you know, and I want to, I hope not. If it's I want cool. my main, my main thing is, is I know if I diet too hard, I get brain fog and I'm just like, yeah, lethargic yeah. and just not energetic. And I know that just, that hits the business hard Don't when I that. can't do things. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, I'm, smart, cool. Man. I'm cool going slow. We yeah. did just drop calories again. Fucker. That's <laughs> fine. Eric. Yeah, yeah. Just joking. But, um, it is funny how you do that. You're like, you're like, you know how many people say that about you? <laughs> please like get results without like, uh, like I'm waiting for the scale to go down. Cause I'm like, if I can progress right here, I'm progressing with a lot of food. I don't want them to pull calories. Yeah. But I was just not going anywhere. Yeah. It's like very slow. So when you, when you say you're losing quarter pound a week, easily like, let's go for a half pound a week. Yeah. yeah. Quarter pounds like very, very slow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this last week I didn't even lose a quarter pound. I think I gained 0.1 pounds. Like it was just like my averages. There was like lows, but it's going too slow where I'm probably not really losing much at all. So we bumped it down. And usually it's one of those things where you kind of just teach harder. And then once you hit that threshold, like you start losing consistently. So I assume once we get to that place where when you um, say threshold, you mean deficit. Yep. Like yeah. your threshold deficit essentially. Yeah. yeah. I th- And I think we're there because in, in the past, I, it's about this intake mm. where I start really starting to lose weight. Gotcha. Um, and we just dropped down. I mean, it's still eating a good amount of food. 205 protein, 250 carb, and 55 fat. So enough for me to stay satiated. Or grams. Yeah. Um, but dropping down to 250 is probably enough to get me moving. For sure. Hopefully. Dope. All right. So uh, last, nope, second to last question. It comes from Laura Turan. It says, when focusing on recomp, are you looking at maintenance calories or more lean bulking? It depends on the situation. I think that if somebody has like, there's, there's a range of recomp, right? There's like the skinny fat person. Um, and there's the, this average person. And then there's the person who, uh, is more skinny, mm-hmm. right? So like, and the reason I say this is because skinny fat people, a lot of times you can keep them at maintenance. You just got to make sure they're training and their, their diet is on, on point. Like they're getting a good ratio of macros they're meal timing getting sleep they're training hard um or you can even go in a slight surplus if they're training with shit so if they come to you and they're like oh, i'm not really training much i go to some classes and you put them on a four or five day a week strength training program that's really intelligent then you could probably go into a small surplus for a lean bulk otherwise if their training's already good you can keep them at maintenance and just redistribute things mm. um if they are just the average person i also like keeping it at maintenance because they you can, it, it's almost always either, or it depends on how fast they want to like, what's your main goal? You know, if your main goal is like, yeah, like I want to get leaner, but uh, I need to get bigger. I need to build muscle. And that's that, that last person, that skinny person. You might say like, I want to look leaner, but you want to look like an athlete or you want to look like that bikini model. You want to look like that person that, that looks lean. But the reason they look lean is because they have muscle. Mm-hmm. When they have muscle, they look hard, firm, lean. When you don't have muscle, you just look skinny. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can lose all the weight. You don't need to lose any body fat anymore. You just need to build muscle. So a lot of times those skinny people, I want to go into a surplus. But again, I think it always comes down to what's their training look like. Because in any of these scenarios, if their training is absolute shit, we can go into a maintenance and just optimize their training and they'll just build pure muscle. Right? We don't need to go into a surplus and risk potentially gaining fat. But if any of the people need to gain fat or sorry, gain muscle more than they, they need to lose fat, then the answer is a small surplus and you go with lean bulking. Gotcha. I think it's that simple. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I, uh, yeah, it, it's a hard one to answer cause it's so like dependent. Like, 
I, I want to see visually, I want to see the person, I want to look at their stats, I want to know their training history, I want to know what they're doing now, you know what I mean, it's so hard to say, because some people are just so inconsistent with tracking, they're just yeah. not actually eating what they think they're eating, yeah. you know what I mean, so you dial in some stuff, and, and some people can cut, they can go into a deficit and recomp, I put you in a deficit and you're built, like CJ, CJ, he's been in a deficit and he keeps building muscle and getting stronger, which is like, that doesn't make sense, but it's because he wasn't training mm. at all, and and when he was training, like, way back it was improper strength training it just wasn't that great it was like bro split like he would have a chest day and then take a few days off and then a shoulder day you know so he's barely hitting muscle groups with the right frequency or volume per week so when he came here and it was like all right now you're going from doing nothing and not watching your diet to eating really clean going in a deficit and training six days a week with somebody who knows what they're doing like of course you're gonna see recon yeah you know what i mean he it's just such a dramatic <laughs> shift of things so I think it always depends, you know, for, for him, his main goal was losing weight. So we put him in a deficit, but because he was so inexperienced with all these things I was doing, he started building muscle along the, the process, Yeah, which makes it hard because he's like, man, the scale didn't go down this week. And I'm like, yeah, but your measurements did, you, you look different. Like just chill. Like yeah. it is not all about weight, you know? Yeah. So. Mm. All right. Uh, we got one more question. It comes from Christina Lyron. How long do you stay in? How long do you stay at maintenance? Depends. When do you know when to adjust macros at maintenance and what ones do you adjust? It depends. <laughs> Hire a coach. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think... Uh, so, how long you stay at maintenance depends on how long the diet was, how aggressive the diet was, and how frequently you've dieted in the past. So somebody comes to me and they're like, I haven't dieted in a long time, but I just went through a cut and it was 12 weeks long and it was pretty aggressive. You, they haven't dieted in a long time, but they just went through a cut? Yeah, so like before that cut. Oh, so okay. they haven't dieted in a long time before. Like So it wasn't like, well, I did a cut, and then I took like a four-week off, and then I did another cut, and then I've just been in a deficit for six months. You know what I mean? Because okay. there's those people that just keep on dieting. On, on, on. Um, so for somebody like myself, I'll use myself as an example. I haven't, I haven't dieted in over a year. I haven't been in a deficit for, for a year or more. So this is – I'm like fresh, late, perfect, right? Going into this deficit, let's say I was only going to do 16 weeks of the diet. I did 16 weeks of the deficit. Uh, I lost a good amount of body fat. I was somewhat aggressive. After that, I'm going to spend just as much time uh, at maintenance as I did dieting, ideally. If I still had weight to lose, I would spend half the time. Um, if I wanted to maintain where I was at, I'd probably just, it would probably be like two times more, if not longer like I did because I want to build muscle. So it's really hard to say because if somebody, usually the way this question is framed is like, hey, I've been dieting for 12 weeks. I'm tired, but I still have 10 pounds to lose. Yeah. In that scenario, take half the time you took to diet. So if you dieted for 12 weeks and you're tired, take six weeks at maintenance as a diet break, then go back into another 12-week cut, lose the last 10 pounds, and then you're going to spend 24 weeks, twice as long, at maintenance before you even think about cutting again. Yep, for sure. Hopefully, you won't have to cut again because if you get lean and you do it right and sustain it, you don't got to cut again. Unless you're like me, where I'm like, hey, I'm going to spend the next year building muscle, trying to bulk up, and then I'm going to do a cut to get lean to see what I built. Um, and then we might restart that process because that's just what obsessive bodybuilders do yep. like they just kind of cycle it through yeah. um which i probably won't cycle through another bulk for a while but in that scenario that's what you would do so i think i think it kind of depends um and then w what you adjust depends on what you pulled out you almost never adjust protein because protein should never drop throughout the process of a diet but 
if you're increasing carbs and you're going into a surplus, sometimes you want to increase protein as well because a lot of your protein is going to be coming from trace sources. So you're going to be getting protein from vegetables and potatoes and rice and shit like that, which we don't want to do. Um, we'd rather get it from dairy, meat, eggs, fish, stuff like that. So if, if you're eating your body weight and protein, but then your carbs go like twice to body weight, I'm probably going to go like 1.2 grams per pound of body weight just to make sure we're getting enough of that good, uh, protein source for sure. Um, but for carbs and fats in a perfect world, fats don't drop too low to where you don't have to adjust them very much. So in, in some cases for me, I might add like five to 10 grams of fat right when we start the rever- going into maintenance because I dropped five to 10 grams of fat. But I usually try to get like my favorite way of doing this for, for like the ultimate physique, in my opinion, protein set and it's static. It's going to stay there. Fat is pretty much set. You might drop it a little bit, but most likely you figure out like what is the minimum amount of fat you need to hormonally be healthy. Usually 0.35 to 0.45 grams per pound. You set that in stone, then you maximize carbs, and then you just use carbs as the toggle to lose more fat. So Mm. I just dropped carbs because I was at a plateau. The next adjustment, I'll probably drop carbs again. And the next one, we'll probably drop carbs again. I probably won't drop fat, maybe five to 10 grams until way down the road because we'd rather keep my fat at a healthy place. Um, and me and Eric work very similar in that regard when it comes to trying to lose fat and maintain muscle mass, it's the best route to go. So most likely during that reverse to get back to maintenance, the only thing you're really adjusting is carbs, unless you pulled a little bit of fats down. Gotcha. So, Mm. yep. So you just don't drop protein. Never. Wow. Um, if anything, you increase it. Oh, so you might, so if you increased it during the cut, you would drop it going into maintenance because gotcha. for some people if they're really hungry during diet or i'm really focused on maintaining muscle i might go above your body weight and protein during the diet um the diet phase the cut so if that was the case when i go back to maintenance i might actually lower it because yeah. i don't need to have more than my body weight yeah um but for most people like if you're somebody who enjoys eating a little bit more than your body weight and protein like 1.1 1.2 just leave it there because yeah. it's going to be good for deficit maintenance or surplus and if you enjoy it and it keeps you full like that's kind of how i always am i always have about 1.2 1.25 grams per pound of body weight and i just keep it there yeah because that's what i enjoy yeah dope well that was the last question um keep an eye out on that uh menopause episode with travis zipper um not this coming week this coming week is going to be the research roundup with brandon roberts and then probably travis zipper so anyway We will see you next week. Deuces. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. 
I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next time.